Thank you, Bryce. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those out, come on. You get a little excited about being in God's Word, huh? That's all right. We're in Philippians chapter 2. This last week, <clears throat> with my renewed emphasis, my renewed kind of vigor towards uh, exercising, working out, I, I was at the gym and uh, went in the locker room, put my stuff in the locker. I, I get in there and I'm wearing a bright yellow, fluorescent yellow shirt and uh, on the front it's got Team Steve with an Iron Man emblem on it. It's the shirt that they had made uh, when he went to Florida to compete in an Ironman triathlon. So I'm standing there putting my stuff in my locker and I hear behind me, I like that shirt. What is it about it that you like? And he said, and it had a list on the back of the shirt, uh, father, husband, PhD, and then the last line said, Iron Man. And so I asked him, what do you like about the shirt? He said, father and husband. Our world needs more fathers and husbands. We got too many men that are bailing on their families. That kind of sparked my interest a little bit. So I turn around. We start having a conversation. This is a lighthearted conversation. Small toss going on. We finally introduce ourselves. I say, my name is Joel. He says, my name is Pastor so-and-so. I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember his name. So for the sake of this story, I will call him Pastor. I said, well, where are you pastoring? He said, well, I attend a church over here uh, on the other side of Aurora, and evangelism is my emphasis. All right. You, you and I can be friends. <laughs> and he asked me where I'm serving, and, and uh, so we keep going and, and kind of just small talk going on, and I finally get to the point of saying, well, so I'm going to go ahead and work out. Have a great, it's so nice to meet you. Hope to see you again. So I go, I work out. I get done working out. I come back to the locker room and uh, I grab my towel, my water bottle, and I go to the steam room. I walk in the steam room and guess who's in there? Pastor sitting in there. So I go in, sit down. As soon as I sit down, the steam thing, psh, comes on, it's really loud, so there for two or three minutes, there's nothing but silence, and it goes off, and we start small talk. About that time, two guys come in, 20-somethings, tatted up, man, t tattoos. I feel like I should have a tattoo working out at the gym, but anyway, maybe, they, they still have those in Cracker Jack boxes anyway. I mean, I want to fit in, so anyway. Hey, so they come in, they sit down, and the Lord impressed upon my heart to start a spiritual conversation. So I begin thinking, I'm going to set up pastor to do his thing. I mean, if that's his emphasis, man, I, want, I can't wait to see. I want to hear the Lord work through him. And so I'm going to set him up. I'm going to tee it up just right, boy. And he let him swing away. 
in my mind, I start having an argument. Joel, these guys don't want to hear this. As soon as you start talking about the Lord, as soon as you start talking about Jesus, they're going to get up and walk out. Joel, just sit there and enjoy the steam. Enjoy the reward after your workout. So, Pastor, where are you from? New Jersey. So he starts telling me all about New Jersey. All right. That's great. Well, hey, tell me about you before you came to know the Lord. Oof, man. He went to Vietnam, and you should have heard the stories about this guy before he came to know Jesus. I mean, he let me know how bad he was. So, all right. Uh, so what happened? Were you at youth camp? Were you where, when you came to know the Lord? And I, he, never, he never got there. Steam came back on. And after that, we went to the Broncos. The safe place for all conversation. See you later. Today we continue in our text in Philippians chapter 2. And today one of the big words that we must wrestle with is obedience. When the Lord lays things upon my heart and upon your heart, are we obedient? Now moms and dads, we get the idea of obedience. When we tell our children to do something, we expect. Or do we? Is it optional? If you feel like it, then don't touch that stove. <laughs> With our Father in heaven, there is an expectation that we obey. So obedience is a big deal in our text. Sitting in the steam room, the Lord laid something on my heart. He impressed something on my heart. And I sat there and had an argument with myself whether I should say something or not. Our passage today, starting in verse 12, starts with the word, therefore. You've probably heard it said, well, what's it there for? Okay. Well, I like to teach it a different way, and if you've been around for a while, you, you know that the word therefore points two directions. It points backwards at a biblical principle, and it points forward to practical application of that biblical principle. So what is in the text right before verse 12? That every knee will bow. Say it with me. And every tongue will confess that what? Jesus Christ is. There's your biblical principle. Now we had his example, the perfect example of obedience. He humbled himself. Man, he took on the form of man. He came and, and, and became obedient. Obedient even to the point of death. Obedience is a big deal. To the point of death. And because of that, God gave him a name that is above all names. 
And that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There's your biblical principle. Therefore, and we get our text. Today's message is my prayer is very practical for me and for you. I pray that the Lord would start with me and my heart. He would move on to the elders and move in their heart, to our life group leaders, to our ministry leaders, to every person in this church. That today's text, very practical. We have four imperative verbs. We cannot avoid them. We, can't, we just can't go around them. And those will consist of my major teaching points today. Imperatives. Paul imposing his will on the people of the Philippian church. This, this church that's probably made up of a bunch of old war veterans. Tough as shoe leather. I mean, guys just... And he gives it to them straight today practical, practical Christian living. If you'll stand with me as I read our text, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. In light of the example that we have in Christ, in, in light of the name that has been given to him that is above all names because of his obedience, obedience even to the point of death, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Therefore, verse 12, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's our first imperative. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's our second imperative. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Hey, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad. Here's our third and our fourth imperatives. Be glad and rejoice with me. Father, we ask this morning that your word would be sharp. Boy, that it would cut deep to the places of our heart that... Uh, need to be touched, that we would leave today different than when we came in. Lord, may we leave obedient, more obedient than we were. That even in the difficult places, maybe the difficult relationships that we find ourselves when we find ourselves having arguments as to whether we should humble ourselves, that we would be obedient. And I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Paul says, man, you guys have always been obedient. When I was there with you, you were obedient. And now I'm in jail. I'm in Rome. I'm away from you. You guys are still there. And man, I... I 
I still have the same expectation that you be obedient. What have we been instructed to do? What, ha- what, is, what is he talking about? Being obedient to what? Well, we go back earlier in chapter 2, and he refers to thinking of others as what? More significant than yourself. Man, don't consider just your own needs, but consider the needs of others. Man, humble yourself and don't do anything out of rivalry or vain conceit. <coughs> Excuse me. And so he says, man, I've, as you've always been obedient, I, while I'm... Excuse me. I can feel a tickle coming on. You've always been obedient, but even while we're separated, I expect you to still remain obedient. And we get to this first imperative verb. And he says, work out. On your outline, I want you to notice that to work out one's salvation is a way of expressing the idea of obedience. (coughs) With an emphasis on being intentional and purposeful. Paul says to work out your salvation or or your Christ, your following Christ likeness. You and I must put following Christ as an emphasis in our lives. Let's be clear about something. When he says work out your own salvation, this text is not about being saved. This text is not about getting saved. This text is not about staying saved. This text is about because you are saved. Obedience. Work it out, man. Okay. Maybe I can explain it this way. Uh, In my weight loss pursuits of recent, I would lose weight at a much slower rate if I only cut my portion sizes down. The, the instructor of this lose to live class, he's like, now your stomach is the size of your fist. And I'm like, your stomach might be the size of your fist. Mine's more the size of a watermelon. <laughs> so simply by cutting back on how much food I eat, I, I would probably lose weight. But here's the deal. Working out, it like multiplies, it it accelerates the weight loss. And when it comes to working out, I actually enjoy it very much. I love it. Sweat, the the pain, the the, the way you feel afterwards, I, I just love it. The smell of the locker room, man, if they could bottle that, and like, hey, like some people wear Axe, locker room. I mean, that'd be like a magnet for Catherine to me, man. It's just, okay, maybe not. <laughs> Scratch that example. You know what the hard part for me is? Getting to the gym. From the comfort of my couch to get to the gym. But once I'm there, I love it. How does that apply to me and you spiritually? In my walk and in your walk daily, 
This whole idea of following the Lord. Getting up off of our spiritual couch. Because of the example that we have in Christ. Work out your salvation. Your own salvation. Walk in obedience. What's difficult about that? Is it the obedience? Oh, hey, remember the steam room? Lord laid something on my heart, and what did I sit there and do? I argued with myself whether I should say something. I'm not asking you to argue, Joel. Start a spiritual conversation. Obedience. Now, we'll talk more about some arenas where we need to be obedient. But I'd like for us to start here with the imperative for me and for you to work out your own salvation. To work it out. To be obedient in your spiritual walk. When the Lord lays something on your heart, don't argue. Mom and dads, we understand that, don't we? <laughs> I didn't expect an amen there. but <laughs> Hey, we tell our kids something. We're not expecting an argument back, are we? Don't do that. We've all heard the the statement, well, well, why? Because I said so. When the Lord lays something on your heart, my task and your task is to be obedient, to work out that salvation. And look at verse 13, where he goes on to. For it is, what? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hold on, hold on a second, Joel. I thought you said that we were to work out our own salvation. But now, but now you're saying that God is the one working? Which one is it? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It's not because God already did his work that now we have to go to work to, in order to please him. It's not it. He'll like us more if we go to work. It's not it. The blood of Christ covers you. Your righteousness is in Christ. God looks upon your life as righteousness because of Christ. Do you realize that the difficult things that you might be going through because God's doing something in you. He's at work in you. Maybe you've been going through this for three or four years. Uh, maybe longer. And you're at a point of going, all right, God, I'm ready to learn the lesson. Go ahead and just give it to me straight. Enough of this. I'm ready to learn what you're trying to teach me. But be assured of this. Remember chapter 1, verse 6? Paul says, for I am confident of this. That he who began a what? A good work in you will bring it to completion. See, God is at work in my life and he's at work in your life to do his will, to do work. He, God has things. We know our Ephesians 2.10 purpose. We were created anew in Christ Jesus to do what? Anybody? Good works that he set aside for us long ago. 
God is at work in my life, and he's at work in your life. And all of this works together for his pleasure. What you're going through has gone through the God filter. Do you realize that? He doesn't give you anything more than you can handle. In fact, no matter what you're going through, temptation or circumstance, he will provide a way through. He's not going to take you out to the middle of the lake and let you drown. He said, let's go to the other side of the lake. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Whatever is going on in your life today, just be assured that God is at work. God wants to do something in you. He says, man, hey, you guys, you've always obeyed, even when I was with you, and now I'm away from you. Obey. And work out your salvation, man. Live in obedience. And God is work in you. He's doing things in you and through you, and, and it's all to bring him glory and pleasure. What are you going through today? Just know that God is with you. God is working in you. The second blank on your outline. For the believer, working out your personal salvation takes form within the Christian community by seeking the good of others. We saw that earlier in chapter 2. That we're to look at the interests of others, consider them more significant than ourselves. Again, as I sat in the steam room, I sensed that the Lord was leading me to say something, to start a spiritual conversation. He didn't ask me to consider how it was going to turn out. He didn't ask me to consider what the results of that would be. I just knew that the Lord was saying, say something. He goes on in this verse. I missed this a minute ago. He says, work out your salvation, and he puts two qualifiers on that term. With fear and trembling. I've heard sermons preached. I've heard Bible studies taught. When we see the word fear in Scripture, we are to interpret that as what? Awe. To be in awe of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To be in awe of God is, I've heard that. I don't disagree with that, but I think that is a partial definition of the word fear. Folks, there's no getting around the word fear is fear. It's kind of like my boys uh, with Larry and Mo. They, they are in awe of Larry and Mo, but they are also in fear of Larry and Mo. Because once they've had some of Larry, they don't want no Mo. Anyway, that's a bad joke. It's an old one. Just had to say it, it fit right there. It's... Hey, man, it says fear. Okay, you want to use the word awe. Okay. But guys, we can't get around the word trembling. The best example I can think of is when I was a child. This was before even Anna was born. We lived in North Dakota. We had a basement. And my older brother and sister and I were down in the basement doing something. I don't remember what it was. 
but we had apparently disobeyed. <clears throat> now, in our home, there was a legend. The legend of round and round. I had never experienced it, and I had never seen it. But it was a level of being in trouble that was beyond the normal in trouble. And whatever we had done, the announcement was made. We're going to go round and round. I was the youngest. I'm at the top of the stairs. My brother's the oldest. He was the first one down. <laughs> and and I, could hear, I could hear him getting punished. <laughs> and then my sister went down. And I don't remember round and round being worse than any other punishment. You know what the hardest part was? <laughs> the waiting doing they must be dying down there I couldn't see I was trembling at the thought of the power of Bob Bundick and the wrath that was awaiting me I still shudder at the thought of the legend of round and round. I don't know what my dad just said, but anyway, he can tell me later. It worked. <laughs> hey, I was familiar with the Board of Education. Anybody else? It did work. Hey, uh, there's no getting around the word fear. Here's what I'm afraid of. You can disagree with me if you want to be wrong. I think that we have a lot of Christians sitting in our church houses around the world that no longer fear God. They no longer tremble at his voice. We take our sin in our lives so lightly. Eh, I'll just ask for forgiveness tonight when I go to bed. And we do not shudder at the power of God. He says, work out your salvation, your obedience, with fear and trembling. This is Paul who was very familiar with grace. Very familiar with mercy, love, and kindness of, of our Heavenly Father. But I think this is a good reminder for you and I. Boy, you better recognize. I knew when my middle name got called as a kid, I better recognize it. Anybody else get the middle name signal? Yeah. God's at work. Well, let's move on to our second imperative. I want to encourage all of us to walk in obedience this week. In verse 14, he says, do all things. And he puts two qualifiers on it. 
without grumbling. And our translations, English translations, have some different words here. Complaining, uh, disputing, questioning are some of the words that are trying to be communicated there. This has so much more to do than just our words. I think the best example that I can point this out is uh, where this happens is in our cars when we're driving. No one else is in the car with you. To hear the words that are coming out of your mouth when that cuts you off. And boy, you, you're able to let them have it. No one else is around. No one can hear them. And you, words coming out of your mouth. You know what I think grumbling is all about? Check this out. This last week, as I have begun to cut down my portion sizes, there has been a lot of extra space and air room in my stomach. And there are times that my stomach, you know that sound, that, that grumbling on the inside? I do all things. This obedience that you're doing, this humbling yourself, you're not doing anything out of vain conceit. You're following the example of Christ. You can do it on the outside and do all the right performance stuff, but on the inside, you know it and I know it, there's a lot of grumbling going on. I believe Paul is speaking to the content of my heart and your heart as we live out our following Christ. Man, walk in obedience and do it without, man, check your heart as you're walking in obedience, as you're working out your salvation. Check your heart, man. It's not just your words. Check your heart while you're at it. Important. And he goes on in verse 15 and says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Hey, what if you and I walk through this coming week with uh, a white shirt on, and we had somebody next to us the whole time, and they were able to, they had a special pair of glasses, and they, had, they were able to see the content of your heart, and they have a bowl in their hand, and in this bowl is mud, okay? And every time you and I begin to they just dip their fingers in the, you know, on your white shirt. Every time we begin to complain or grumble, I wonder what my shirt and your shirt would look like at the end of the week. Now listen, I'm not saying that within the church body that people don't disagree this whole idea of grumbling, boy, doesn't it make you want to just go back to the people of Israel when Moses led them out of Egypt? <laughs> they get through the oak, man, they get through the sea, and they get out in the desert, and they're like, man, what you bring us out here for? What are, where's our, man, we want some meat. And, and the, the complaining, and the, boy, it just makes you want to go there. And listen, what I'm trying to communicate is this. If there's disagreement within the body of Christ, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And the wrong way to do it is to go behind the person's back and talk and 
and complain and grumble and gossip and this and that. And we, but the right way is to what? Go to them. Go to them. No church is perfect, but church, I got to be honest with you, I think I would hear if a lot of that was going on. And it would be a responsibility of mine as a shepherd to protect the flock. And I don't see a whole lot of it. Is there any going on out on the rumor bill that I don't know about? Kidding. There's a right way to handle issues among the body. And there's a wrong way. Look at this next blank. Grumbling and disputing leads to division. Paul commands that the Philippian believers abandon such behavior in order to promote unity. Important. Important that we do that. And it's when we do, when we live out our faith, when we work out our faith without grumbling and, and complaining, we handle things the right way. We shine like lights in a twisted and perverted generation. Would anybody agree that the world we live in today is twisted and perverted? <laughs> We're in school. Yeah, that's not, that's not hard to sell at all. When you and I are known more for caring for others' needs, when we're known more for being obedient, holding fast to the word of God, we shine like lights. But let's be honest about something. Not everybody likes bright lights around them. Huh? How does that sound in real life? Uh, you got people at work that know you're a Christian, and right before they say a cuss word or tell something, what do they usually say? Hey, excuse me, pardon my French. And then they go ahead and say it anyway, Right? Not everybody likes having a light around them. In fact, sometimes when you and I hold fast to the word of life and we live true to God's word and we stay the course in what God has led us to be, you will bring upon yourself persecution and suffering. It will happen. Because there are a lot of people that don't like a light shining. <coughs> This morning, as I was talking with uh, the elders about this, one of them mentioned, you know, there's some people that need a light. They might be far from God. They might be in a place of having no hope in life. And they need someone in their life that's just a light and gives them direction. They, it, I see that light and I can move towards that light. Are you that in somebody's life? See, this is a very practical text. Man. Work out your salvation, man. Be obedient. Do it without grumbling. I'm talking about your heart. Do it without complaining. Watch, your, watch what comes out of your mouth. Do things the right way. When you do that, you shine, man. You stand out. Not everybody's going to like that, but some people need it. And I've called you to it. You are, Jesus said to his disciples, salt of the earth. 
and the light of the world. <clears throat> the next on your outline, when we, we will shine as lights in this world as we hold tightly with perseverance to the word of God, the word of life. Our children are being pressed on all sides to do the opposite, to live in a way that is contrary to the word of God, to find things, to find things acceptable that are contrary to the word of God. We need to pray for our children, don't we? We need to pray for our parents, don't we? Yeah, we do. We need to pray. <clears throat> the last, last one on your outline, and we'll tie a bow on this. In the same way that Paul was willing to suffer for the advancement of the gospel, so should we. It, will cause, it is cause for personal and corporate rejoicing. I want you to notice the last two imperatives there in verse 18. Because see, in verse 17, he's like, guys, I'm in jail. I'm here in Rome. I'm in jail. And this may get me. I don't know if they're going to release me, or I don't know if they're going to kill me. But hey, even if my life is poured out as an offering, a drink offering, I'm glad. I'm glad that I was chosen to be one that could suffer for the cause of Christ. And I rejoice. See, these two imperatives in verse 18 have the same root word. But here's how I want you to, here's how I interpret it. Go check me. I encourage every one of you, go check my interpretation. He says, likewise, you should be glad. And my interpretation of that is this. That is a very personal thing that you and I should do. It's an imperative. Check the content of your personal heart as you go through these difficult things. And be glad. How did James say it? James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through various trials. Paul says to these believers in Philippi, man, be glad. But also, rejoice with me. On a corporate level, let's rejoice together that we have been given the privilege of suffering for the advancement of the gospel. Because the advancement of the gospel is what really matters. So not only is he saying on a personal level, but on a corporate level, there should be a rejoicing, a gladness in us and among us. And today I want to encourage, I want to finish up by encouraging each one of us. Follow Christ's example. To walk in humility and obedience. Let's do it without complaining or grumbling. When we do, you're going to shine, you're going to stand out in this world, and not everybody's going to like it. For those that say being a Christian is simple, it's easy for the, for the weak-minded, they, they, they haven't applied this. Because it's not easy at times to humble yourself. It's not easy at times to obey but we've been called to it. My heart and your heart should be glad. And church, together we should celebrate that we have the privilege of serving 
Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, we ask that today, as we go from this place, that we would be found guilty of working out our salvation with with purpose, with emphasis. We're not just going to sit on our spiritual couch. We're going to get up and we're going to do something. Lord, we're not just going to be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but man, we're going to be doers of the word. So Lord, I pray that each of us would have our spiritual ears alert, our antennas up, our eyes open to opportunities that you put in front of us. In fact, I'm asking, Lord, that you present each one of us with divine appointments this week. Every person that is hearing this message would be on the lookout for divine appointments, for a word of encouragement, to tell someone about you, to start spiritual conversations just to get somebody thinking about you. Lord, I pray your blessing on each life that is, that is here today. Well, Father, I also want to pray for the one that is, that is here that has never, ever trusted in you. They've never called upon you to be Lord and Savior. As we saw in your word and we learn in the biblical principle that every knee will bow and confess you as Lord. Lord, there might be someone here today that has never done that. And today is the day that you've set aside. You're knocking on the door of their heart right now as we speak. You're not going to break the door down. You're waiting for them to open and invite you to come in and take over their life to be Lord, to be master, to be king, to sit upon the throne of their heart. So today, if you're here and you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never invited him to come and sit on the throne of your heart. In fact, you get off the throne and allow Jesus to sit there. If today you believe Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart wanting to come in and you're ready to invite him, I want to encourage you to do just that. In your words, the Bible says that we are to confess and repent of our sin. I admit it. I have sin in my life. And today, I'm making the choice to turn from that and turn to God. And right now, Jesus, I'm opening the door of my heart and asking you to come in and live. Bring life. Lead me, guide me, teach me what it means to be one of your children. I want to be light in this world. I pray this in faith, not just empty words. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. 